guys, welcome to the Water to Water podcast with Kevin and Crystal and James. Uh, we hope you are doing well and uh, I hope that you're excited for this episode about what we're going to be talking about. Uh, before we get into it, I just wanted to say a few things based on our last episode. If you haven't already checked it out, the Pentecostal problem, uh, we do recommend it, of course, because we <laughs> recorded it ourselves. But we also wanted to let people know who, because we heard some things back. Uh, you know, we do believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, we don't deny his existence and we do believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including tongues. We don't deny that either. We believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just had queries and challenges that we wanted to be heard, basically, in the previous episode. And that's what the whole episode was about. Anyway, moving on, we hope that you share, subscribe, like, you know, and please rate us on Spotify so it improves our visibility. In this episode, we'll be talking about our first three years of marriage, the good, the bad and the ugly. So let me hand you over to Chrislyn. Yeah, it has been three whole years since we got married this August. So we just wanted to talk about our experience of getting married and settled, so to speak. And not sure about you, but it feels like we've been married for much longer. I think it's because of COVID maybe, but maybe it's also because we've known each other for almost a decade now. No, it's because time goes slowly when you're having fun. Right, that's yeah, how, okay. That's what it is. Yeah, and uh, you know, we've had our fair share of experiences together and we're still in the process of learning and figuring things out. I think we will be until, you know, we die, but uh, we still wanted to share some things that we learned regardless. So we got married in August 2019 in London. I was 24, Kevin was 26, which, you know, in this day and age, people consider that to be quite young to get married. <gasps> yeah, even even in Asians, well, in Malayali circles, people are getting married later and later now. But anyways... Uh, our close friends and family were really excited for us and we attended some premarital counseling with our pastor and his wife and that was a real blessing to hear from their wisdom and experience it's definitely something that we recommend to every engaged couple and i really hope and pray that our malayali pentecostal churches will put together a premarital counseling program which you know lasts several sessions goes through different topics like they do with other churches um, because in this day and age, examples of godly marriages are actually quite rare to come by. Whereas back in the day, our parents and grandparents may have got on fine without it. Young people these days have deeply rooted misconceptions about marriage and marriage roles. So I think it's really important for churches to address this. Anyways, like I said, many people were really excited for us and encouraged us uh, on our journey to marriage. For example, I had aunties giving me endless beauty tips and inquiring about my dress, the decor and everything else, which I thought was really sweet because it showed that they were invested in our wedding. But there was this one particular auntie who asked me how I was preparing for marriage. And I said, well, you know, I'm doing all my skincare stuff, taking care of my hair. But she was like, no, no, no. I meant, how are you preparing spiritually? And that really caught me off guard because it highlighted that I was basically focused on physically preparing for marriage and that I'd neglected the most important thing, which is to spiritually prepare as well. So after that point, we basically decided to fast and pray in the weeks leading up to our wedding. And again, it's a thing that we do recommend that engaged couples do. And we've also talked uh, in a previous episode about a book from John Piper called Preparing for Marriage, which is a great resource and offers a lot of wisdom as well. So all of this was happening. However, we also kept hearing a handful of people saying negative things about marriage. For example, I had people telling me that my life would be over after I get married. And Kevin had people telling him that he would be under new management. <laughs> under new management. Like, 
what, what does that even mean? Anyways, I'll, I'll let you speak. How, you, how would you, you say? You I'll tell you what it means. Yeah, okay. All right, let me come in. So the idea is, of course, as everyone knows, that it's the old uh, quote-unquote ball and chain where uh, if you are married, the idea is, oh, yeah, you can't do anything by yourself. You've got to ask quote-unquote permission. And uh, I think that's, a, that's such a sad way to look at marriage. Uh, instead of it being the joy that it actually is. And I think for the Christian, you know, for most Christian people, marriage is part of their Christian life. It, it's an essential component to it. And the way that some Christian men and women talk about marriage is often filled with such negativity and horror that you would think that marriage is a prison sentence. And the reality is that if people keep talking about it in that negative light, then don't be surprised when young people don't want to get married. Right, mm. or they have other ideas of quote unquote living together. Right, <laughs> <laughs> marriage isn't easy. However, it is amazing. And to you know, we spoke about through the three years of being married. Uh, the first year and the following years have just been that difficult, but amazing. They've been breaking points, haven't they? Mm. Uh, when I say breaking point, I don't mean we were preparing divorce papers. I mean raised voices, shouting, being mean to each other through words and uh, lack of action. However, it has been amazing too. Because you realize that without Christ, without the Holy Spirit's guidance and help, you cannot have situations resolved. It isn't simply a matter of the will and of the mind and saying in your head, yes, I'm going to look past this mistake and that mistake and the next mistake. But rather, it's about relying on the Holy Spirit and being able to look past each other's frailties and asking God to continuously renew the affections that each one of us have for each other. Personally, for me, I think I've learned a lot, which I'll delve into later. Yeah, I think marriage really shows your true colours. For example, it really opened my eyes to the deep-rooted sins in my heart and it constantly challenges me to seek God and to be sanctified by Him. But, um, you know, going back to your previous point about people being negative, I just think it's interesting because the way people talk about marriage really gives you a reflection on what their marriage is actually like, right? We're going to get calls about this episode. But well, why like, else would you talk oh about it in God. such a bad way if your marriage we, we is great? We are getting... Yeah, okay, okay, carry on, carry on. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's so easy. It's so easy to give into today's view of marriage as being a burden, like you just said, like a prison sentence. It's so easy to see your wife as a nagging boss who has robbed you of your independent bachelor life, you know. And it's so easy to see your husband as a lazy, useless man-child who you literally have to do everything for. It's also easy to fit into those stereotypes because, you know, that's what we keep seeing all around us on TV, in the world. And unfortunately, even in the church, sometimes we see these examples. So it's not a surprise that some people view marriage as the end of their lives. And like you said, I strongly disagree with this view as well, because I believe that marriage is the start of a beautiful, messy new chapter in, in our life, which God will continuously use to sanctify you. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that marriage is what you make of it. If you go in with that attitude, that is going to be something that disables your life, then that's what it's going to be. Uh, if you and your spouse fail to pursue each other and make the effort, it will be the worst pain in the neck. However, if we go in with the attitude that this is a beautiful reflection of heaven on earth and that you'll work hard to protect it and honor it, then it really will be one of the best things in your life. And I can tell you now that our marriage, even though it's not perfect, is one of the best things in my life. And I'm so grateful that God has given us this privilege of experiencing it together. 
And uh, carrying on with what happened with our marriage, you know, I moved in with Kevin after getting married with him and his family. And <laughs> let me tell you, this was a really scary thing for me. Because even though I kind of knew his family, I didn't really know them. Like, you never really know your in-laws properly unless you live with them. Kristen, again, knew my parents better than most people who have an arranged marriage, but still didn't know them fully. So, uh, Kristen, bearing in mind that Papa and Mama are listening, <laughs> tell us what you think of them. Well, I think... Gen- Whatever you say or do will be used against you in the court of law. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. No no threat, though, yeah. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because they listen to the podcast, but I genuinely think they're quite chilled people. And uh, the main thing is that they respect that their children are adults who are starting their own journeys. And that's something that I really appreciate. And I know I was quite lucky because many girls in our culture don't have the same experience. Okay, with that answer, mum might, again, make the chicken biryani that you like. Uh, okay, so anyway, from my perspective, so the Christian's talking about her moving in, so she moves in. And of course, I'm the perfect gentleman. Mm-hmm. Well, or so mm-hmm. I thought. Gents, self-reflection is key to a successful relationship. So here was me doing things around the house, clearing and making wardrobe space and cupboard space for uh, my sister-in-law, Monsha Chichi, shout out to her, and mum, shout out to her, ensured that the room was getting, like I said, girl-friendly as possible. The thing is, we did all these things and I assumed in my head, well, that's it. She's going to be really comfortable here and she's going to be happy with how everything is. But that is, of course, just my my part of the story. I was ignorant, mostly on the emotional side of things. Here is a young woman leaving everything behind and leaving her comfortable surroundings to come to this new environment. And the reality is, no matter how amazing the new surroundings are, one can still feel emotionally down. They can still feel lonely. I'm not saying Chris felt all of that, but the point is just because everything seems to be fine on the surface in terms of everything looks prepared, things won't necessarily be like that in reality. Yeah, for me, you know, it was a realization that at my mom and dad's house, I was the princess and my voice was very prominent, whether they liked it or not. And I was able to boss my brother about and do things the way I wanted. But when you move into another home um, as a girl in our culture, you have to do most of the adjusting. You can't change the way things are done. And not that I wanted to change a lot of things that was happening, but it was just a feeling of being homesick for the first couple of weeks. And I remember crying in bed because I missed everything about my old home. Like, I just missed my room. I missed the routine I had. I missed having my dad and my brother around. And another thing is that I also really missed my mom, who had passed away six months before we got married. And that's because I had nobody to call and ask really personal questions or seek advice from, you know. Well, you know, I could have called some aunties and they were available, but no one can really replace your own mom. So this was a really hard thing for me. And I think poor Kevin had to deal with this mess for a while. And I have to admit, it wasn't a smooth process. And I'm pretty sure I was very difficult to be around at that time. So uh, anyways, we lived there for six months with his parents before finding our own place. It sounds like you had a terrible time there. But folks, this is just like what's going on in the minds of it's people. Got, well. I don't think it's, it didn't have anything to do with mom, dad, Edwin. you, Edwin. Like, it's, just, it, yeah. it's just the fact that I moved from my home to somewhere. To another place, yeah. I wasn't, yeah, yeah. somewhere I, mean, I wasn't familiar with. I mean, Basil is so much better than Beckendry as oh, well. Yeah, so I don't sure. know why, why <laughs> you would feel those things. On a serious note, on reflection, I could have been more considerate. Most people who know me know that I'm a bit of a winder and I kind of enjoy like being annoying And my mum has told me many times along the lines of, Kevin, your tongue is too quick for your own good. Apparently, I speak too quickly. It comes from my mum's side, apparently, because my mum's sister is similar. 
both my mom's sister and I have been at the ends of beats from our parents because of it. Anyway, the point is this. My wit, you know, my banter is one of the things that, let's say, helped sparked our relationship initially. However, there is only so much of the funny guy routine that your spouse can take. And the moments they're feeling self-conscious and down is not the time for the wit to come through, okay? And trying to make her happy or trying to make her laugh by being witful at that point is probably not the best thing. Indeed, I learned that the hard way. Through our marriage, I've certainly become more in touch and in tune with what the people around me are feeling. I've become more aware of how my words and actions can be construed and misconstrued. And gents, on a side note, when the woman has come over and staying at your parents' place, you're both now one. And so all your wife's needs now becomes your needs too. So sometimes sacrificing your needs for her is a top priority. It might also be a good idea to speak to your parents about what their expectations are for the both of you. For example, do they expect or would they like the girl who's coming in to help with some of the cooking? If that's the case, then as you as a gent, you as the husband, make it a point to be here with the kitchen during this time. Don't leave her to it. Okay? You know, don't just go into your room and do your chatting through snaps or sending ground instantly and facing other people's book while she is in a new environment by herself. A lot of people's experiences living in their in-laws' homes have issues because of the differences in expectations between the in-laws. And in the words of Pastor Tony, expectations breed frustration. Yeah, just a note about in-laws and parents though. Obviously your parents will always be your parents and you, you know, their children will always be their children. But sometimes I think people find it hard to come to terms with the fact that their children have now moved on to a new chapter, that they have a new priority, which is their spouse. And that they're no longer the little kid who has to obey everything you say, but that they have to actually consider their spouse's interests as well. Having said that, the Bible tells us, who are adult children, to honour our parents. That's a lifelong commandment. It doesn't stop when we get married. So it's about finding a fine balance about honouring your parents whilst also giving priority to your spouse. And this is something we're still working at. Similarly, sometimes, even after we're married, some of us have trouble understanding that our spouse is now our priority. It can be tempting to go to our parents for everything and still behave like little children who completely depend on on your parents. You might feel tempted to share everything that happens in your marriage because that's what you've been doing all your life. You tell your parents everything. This can be a huge divider in marriage because it will make your spouse feel betrayed, unheard and unloved. So parents have to respect that their children have now got their own lives. And whilst they're a very important part of it, they don't get to dictate everything like they may have been used to. And children have to respect their parents. And whilst they don't have to listen to, agree with and obey everything they say after they're married, there is still an honourable way of disagreeing. And it's about finding that. Again, like I say, this is still work in progress for me. So I'm not pretending to have this under my belt. I think it's an interesting point that you raised that honouring doesn't equal to obeying. Hmm. You can honour your parents, you can disagree with what they've said and still live your life. Honouring doesn't mean you have to obey every single thing that they say when you're an adult child not when you're Uh, yeah when you're when when you're you're a child child yes you obey what your parents parents, yeah (laughs) and i think our parents when i say our parents i mean first generation immigrant parents have this difficulty have more of a difficulty with this than other parents do because our parents our first generation immigrant parents all moved away from their house and their in-laws, okay? 
So a lot of them never experience living for an extended period of time, for example, five or 10 years with their in-laws uh, as a couple, right? It's unlikely that your parents lived for many, many, many years with their in-laws. And so they haven't experienced this. Our parents haven't really experienced it. So for them, having a child who is now getting married and now having their own in-laws, it's a new experience for them too. And this is my advice to young people who are planning to get married. I would say living away from your or your partner's parent is a good thing. The reason why I say is in the house, okay, when you're living with your parents' house, they can only be one king and one queen, whether you like it or not. One person's opinion is going to take the precedent over the other person's. And of course, there are a handful of examples of where the in-laws get on great with each other. Everyone loves each other. Everything goes well. However, these are exceptions to the rule. Okay, not the rule itself. And again, I'm not saying that this happened at our place when Christians here at my parents' place. I'm creating, I'm just, I'm just saying that this does happen. Okay, where there is, where there's friction. All right, I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation. I'll use Kristen as an example because it definitely did not happen. Okay, and I'm not going to be offending anyone else. So let's say in this hypothetical situation, Crystal needs food at, I don't know, six o'clock. However, my parents want to eat dinner at 10, 10 o'clock. Now, all of you would say, well, Kristen has moved in and so she should make the sacrifice and uh, therefore she should start eating at 10 now. And theoretically, this is great. Okay, if people were robots and humans were not humans, this was great. But practically, this just won't happen. Okay, let's give another example. Let's say both of you have had a hard week at work. And you decide that you want to go out in the weekend, let's say Saturday morning, for a movie and lunch, etc. And then your parents say, actually, some guests are coming over. They really want to see you. And so you've got to stay home. Or, or they say, oh, well, some people, some builders are going to come. They're going to be in the house. Somebody needs to be their home. They can't do it because they've got other plans. And since you're living there, that's the expectation. So what are you going to do? Are you going to listen to your parents because you're living in their house? Or you want to do something with your spouse because of, the whole week, you've not really spent time together. Whoever you choose, the other person or the other group of people are going to be upset. Okay? Let's pick another example because a lot of these things don't really come out till uh, grandchildren come to play. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a child okay, and you are raising your children a certain way, but your parents, their grandparents, the children's grandparents don't agree with how that's being raised. So you've decided to punish your child for something, not give something to them for whatever reason. Uh, and then the child now goes back to the grandparent and the grandparent gives it to them. So you're basically being overruled there. And the point I'm trying to make is the child knows at that point that the grandparent's a boss. That's where they've gone to the grandparent and overruled you. And again, that is a situation that can be avoided, right? If you don't live in the house with them, you're, that situation is completely avoided. The only time the kids will get what they want is really when they come over to the grandparent's house. And the biblical principle is that a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. So there is a leaving and a cleaving. They're leaving. In the, in the, so the leaving part is to do with leaving the man or the woman's parents. And the cleaving is joining in with the wife. There is still a leaving and a cleaving. Look at the examples. Moses barely lived with his parents, although arguably that was forced. David left his parents. Samuel left his parents. Well, his mum dropped him there. Even Jesus left his parents. Most examples of faith we see in the Bible had this leaving process from their parents and a cleaving to their spouses. And like I said before, my advice is as soon as it is possible for a couple, please do it. Okay. 
And I'm not naive. I know that things are quite expensive now with the cost of living and it isn't easy. But trust me, for the long run, it is better to do it. And the reason why I'm quite clear on this is because I know of couples that have split up and divorced because of the amount of frustration and bad blood that has developed between the in-laws. And it doesn't all come out at once, folks, okay? Just because you're in the first few years of your marriage and you're doing it and it all looks well, great, it might look great, but it builds over years. And some of it comes out only when the grandchildren come. And again, there's a caveat. Yes, of course there are people who live with their in-laws all their lives and it is an amazing experience for them. However, like I said before, this is an exception and not the norm. Now coming to our life, I would say the six months we stayed, that was a good amount of time. We could have stayed for longer, we could have stayed for shorter, but with hindsight, it seemed the right time. And I still remember an incident that happened to us while we were still living with our parents. And uh, so we were trying to sort out some property stuff in India. And so we needed to go see this Malayali uh, lawyer uncle in Basildon. And he knew me from the time since I was in school. And his daughter and my younger brother, they grew up together and they went to school together, etc. Anyway, this uncle asked me after we you know, sorted all the, the legal stuff out. He asked me in Malayalam, oh, where are you both living? And this was, this was a time when both Christian and I were living at my parents' house. And I replied using a popular Malayali movie quote, basically stating that I'm living with the parents and it's great because of free food and accommodation. And he replied basically along the lines of it is in our best interest to move out when things are good and when things are nice between the in-laws because that's the feeling that will persist even when you move out. And, and I consider what he said because there was a lot of wisdom. Because, of course, he had experienced this from a legal point of view, all, all, all of this uh, with divorces and things like that. But what he was saying actually made a lot of sense because if you move out when things are good, of course, parents are going to be sad that you're moving out. Sure, that's part and parcel of life. They did it to their own parents. Okay, Our first generation immigrant parents did it to their parents. It shouldn't be shocking to them. So when you leave on good terms, that good feeling persists. If you leave when things have gone bad, that bad feeling is still going to be there and it'll take longer for the, you know, that pain and the, the, the up, upsetness, I've created a word there, upsetness to kind of uh, be moved. And my last note I want to say is, your marriage is more important than your parents' happiness. Don't stay just because your parents want you to stay there. If your marriage is more important, my advice is, for most of you, it would be to leave the parents' home. And, you know, moving away from your parents doesn't mean that you don't care about your parents. It doesn't mean that you're going to neglect them, that you're never going to visit them. That's not what it means. But because a lot of people do think that they're like, oh, look at them. They've gone away from their parents and they're not looking after them. No, we still have a responsibility to visit our parents, you know, spend time with our parents, um, look after their needs if they've got any things like that. But like you say, it's about prioritizing. And it's really interesting because just be before we got married, one uncle gave me this sound piece of advice. He basically said, yes, you're getting married, but your dad should be your priority. Unbelievable. Yeah, he said... Okay, guys, can, can you, just, just imagine this, yeah? <laughs> this woman is getting married to a, a husband and this uncle is coming and telling her, oh, you're getting married, but your dad's the priority. Yeah, exactly. And of course, I chose not to follow this advice because that's not what the Bible says. As you mentioned, we're asked to leave and cleave. Um, once you're married, this may sound harsh, but your spouse is your priority, not your parents. And I definitely thought this was interesting because I'm sure that if that uncle's wife prioritized her dad over him, things <laughs> wouldn't be pretty. But you know, that's not my point anyway. Oh uh, yeah, let's, let's leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but like I mentioned before, we have to make it a point to prioritize investing in our marriage more than any other relationship, even with the relationships with our parents. Um, you know, for example, we're often happy to give it our all at work and go above and beyond. But when it comes to serving our spouse, we give the leftovers. We spend it all at work. And when we come home, there's nothing left to give. But what if we actually saw our marriage as more important than other relationships, than our careers and than our hobbies? How much stronger would our families be? Because I see some older couples who are so bored with their marriage and they're almost just like roommates and nothing more. You know, they could, they stopped investing in their marriage very early on, maybe once they have kids. And I know this is going off on a tangent, but this is another thing I've observed. In our culture, people put their kids before their marriage. They live and die for their kids, especially, you know, our immigrant parents. They're working nonstop, making, not making time for each other, uh, making sure that their kids have a good future. And this is why when the kids eventually leave the house, the husband and wife are left hardly recognizing each other you know, and they just become like roommates. So that's why it's important to put your spouse before your kids, because without a strong husband and wife relationship, what makes us think that we can be good parents to our kids? And I think that's why when it's so difficult for these parents to let their kids live by themselves, because they've given everything over, mm. they've given their life over to making their kids lives as easy as possible now when the kid decides to you know oh we're going to leave and we're going to do this x y and z they they feel heartbroken and they're yeah. like oh no everything we've done has kind of gone by the wayside yeah because it feels like the kids are not being grateful yeah uh yeah and i can tell you from my experience you know that the best memories of my childhood are from when my parents marriage was thriving and my worst experiences are from when their marriage just like all marriages do at some point, hit rough patches. So that's why I think it's really important to have a solid marriage so that you can be good parents to your children. And this might shock some uncles and aunties, but it's okay to leave your kids with trusted people and go on dates with just you two occasionally. Huh? Dating? Or? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, not, it's, no, not, no, no, it's no. not a sin. It doesn't mean that you don't care about your kids. It actually means that you're prioritizing each other and investing in each other. It's okay to say no to work and say no to your kids sometimes to make time for each other. These are all things, you know, we're not just making these things up. We've heard these things from Christian messages and we've had marriage advice from trusted resources, which, by the way, we can link in the show notes for your reference. So this is just me passing this information on to you. Yeah, and uh, Christian mentioned rough patches. Every marriage hits rough patches and... I've spoken about breaking points previously, but I think the biggest breaking point we faced together was the weeks after we lost Eden. Uh, to those of you who don't know, I'd, I had basically started a new job in a managerial position at a new school. And uh, we lost Eden the weekend before my first week at work. Okay, so uh, new job, new position, uh, high stakes. And of course, because uh, we lost Eden... That week, I didn't go to work, you know, bereavement leave. And of course, when I eventually did return to work, I was so engrossed in it and trying to balance everything, the new responsibility, new team, new environment, uh, different culture. Uh, as some of you hospital staff know, working in one hospital is not the same as working in another hospital. Schools are the same. It's, it's quite different. And on top of all of that, I'm also trying to balance the emotional turmoil of losing our firstborn. And then for Chrysalin, she was on maternity leave, but she was pretty much on her own by herself and with her thoughts. 
And this is where I think Kristen struggled the most because I, I, I know she, she already mentioned it. But since she didn't have a mother to talk to, she, she was often left with no one to talk to. I mean, my mom did her best. She came over, did a lot of Ayurvedic stuff that Indian people are quite big on following birth. And of course, that was helpful. And I'm not taking anything away from her. However, the reality is that the relationship with your mother is not going to be the same with the relationship with your mother-in-law. Okay? The relationship with your father is not going to be the same as your father-in-law. I wouldn't dream to talk to my in-laws the way I talk to my parents. I think apart from my brothers, the people I speak the most rudely to are my parents. And I wouldn't dream to talk that way to my in-laws. And the reason why it won't happen is because you have more freedom with your parents and the way you talk to them. And all these people that say, oh yeah, you should treat your in-laws like your parents. And they should treat them exactly the same way. Again, this is great in theory. Right? I'm all for theory, I'm a, I'm a scientist, I'm all for theory, but practically speaking, that won't happen. And for that, I'll give you an experiment. Here we go, science experiment for you. If you saw your in-laws or your parents hanging off a cliff, you had to choose one group of people to save, who would you choose? Would you either A, flip a coin and choose based on that, B, choose your parents, or C, choose your in-laws? Most people would choose their parents. Unless, of course, the relationship with their parents is that bad. But again, these are exceptions to the rule, not the general rule. So it is okay to accept that you love your parents more than your in-laws. It is okay to admit that that's the case. However, the important thing is to be aware of this. Be aware of this bias that you have and take action against it. For example, if you want to do something nice for your parents, right? You want to book a holiday that costs a thousand pounds for them. You've got to think, now, I've got to do something similar for my in-laws as well. Now, they might not want a thousand pound a holiday. They might want a gift, another gift. So whatever it is, you need to make sure you're trying to treat them both as equally as possible, even though you love one group more. Anyway, I've got a tangent from what I want to discuss, sorry. Chrysalin uh, found losing Eden harder because of a lack of person to really talk to. And of course, you have people who say, you know, let me know if you want to talk. Uh, I think to those people who really want to talk, just say, hey, are you free 7pm? I'm going to ring you. The grieving person doesn't need to make the first move and say, yeah, I want to talk. They're grieving for heaven's sake. You can make the first move and provide that support. Okay, coming back to the story, I keep going off on tangents. I come back from work and I'd be so stressed about the new job. And to be completely honest, I failed on my part of supporting Chrislyn when she was still suffering. Not that I wasn't, but she was, of course suffering at a different scale. And therefore, I should have been more supportive to her. I should have been speaking to her about how she was feeling, etc. Spending more time to her, being more uh, intentional with my time that I spent with her. And thankfully, we had lots of people, like we said in the previous episode, who rang up and offered words of consolation and uh, some counselling too. And that was really helpful. But yeah, that's something I've I've had to learn and uh, improve on in essence. Yeah, and I don't think, you know, I don't think I was the most gracious person at that point. Um, And yeah, suffering is not an excuse to be ungracious. So there was that as well. But that was probably the toughest time in our marriage so far. And I thank God that we made it through in one piece. And it's definitely made us stronger, I think. Um, But our message to young couples who are newly married or who are about to get married is this. 
it's not just what you see on Instagram. You may see, you know, young couples posting pictures of their extravagant weddings, lovely holidays, adventures, going on fun dates, posting cute essays about each other. And you may think, you know, that's what marriage... We are guilty of some of that. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean, by all means, show off your yeah. spouse, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'm saying that is not all marriage is because no. some people think and they have this expectation that that's what the marriage is all the time. And a healthy marriage can involve all of that stuff. And you should have fun with your spouse. They should grow to be your best friend and companion. Nobody else should even compare to them. But most of marriage doesn't even involve us running around on a beach, you know. Most of marriage involves uh, the everyday grind, the routine stuff, like cleaning the house, running errands, cooking food, going to work, stocking up on groceries, going to church. That's what most of your marriage will involve. And I think we had to go through this phase of adjustment as well, especially after we moved into our own house where our responsibilities increased. Uh, and talking of responsibilities, do you want to talk about how we split our responsibilities at home? Sure. Uh, a general rule of thumb, uh, Christian does all the cooking. Uh, I do the finances, so budgeting, bills, car insurance, MOT, servicing, home insurance, fueling, all of that kind of stuff that falls under my remit. Uh, cleaning the house weekly. Cleaning the washrooms weekly, bins, most of the gardening. Christian does some of the trimming and stuff. Uh, dishes we kind of both do. And we do the shopping as well together. Sometimes I go by myself, sometimes Christian goes by herself. But yeah, did I, did I miss anything? No, I mean, I'm clearly you do a lot more compared to me. No, no, me. I think cooking, I purpose... <laughs> cooking is hard, man. It's time-consuming. Yeah, Indian so Chrislin, food. Yeah, with Indian food. So Krishlin does one big job, but it takes a long time. I do a lot of these little jobs. It takes the same amount of time, perhaps, but it's, it's smaller jobs. Yeah. You know, it also depends on the seasons in life. For example, when I was on maternity leave after losing Eden, I was able to take on more responsibilities after a while because I was mostly at home. But when I'm ill or pregnant or whatever it is, you take on more responsibilities. So it's not like it's set in stone and, you know, you have to do this one set of jobs. That's not how it works. But anyway, like I said, it took a lot of adjustment. But I think three years later, we've reached a good balance. Yeah, this balance is really important. And it doesn't just start when you get married. You know, it starts from childhood. It depends on your upbringing. And this is me ranting here, so bear with me. But from what I've observed in our culture, a lot of the times, girls are taught how to handle a lot of responsibilities from a young age. I can clearly remember an auntie telling me at the age of 15 that I should learn how to cook a variety of things so that I can be prepared for my future husband. Can I, can I ask a question there? Yeah. That auntie's kid, <laughs> who's a daughter... <laughs> Can you speak on her, please? I mean, no comment. I don't really know what she's up to yeah, these so, days. But yeah, I, okay. But so, so, I, I have a strange feeling that her daughter at the age of 15 doesn't do these things. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, please, please I mean, that's not our point. But Yeah, um, okay. But yeah. So I was expected to help out in the kitchen, even at my, you know, at my parents' house, clean the house, do a lot of things around the house. Now, my brother also had his odd responsibilities, but nowhere near as much as me. And he might disagree with this right now, but I'm telling you the truth. And I see this in a lot of Indian households where the boys are given little to no responsibilities. In fact, a lot of boys grow to become men who have no idea how to do even basic things like making meals or keeping their space tidy. And this becomes a huge problem once they get married because they go into their marriage unaware of their lack of basic skills. They think they're good. They think they're being good husbands, but they don't know that they're 
not doing the most basic things to survive as a human being, you know. And they expect their wives to basically be their parent and to do everything for them. This really builds resentment in the wife and it becomes this vicious cycle of nagging from the wife and further withdrawal from the husband. And she keeps nagging, he keeps withdrawing. And I've seen this in many marriages and I've heard numerous aunties complaining about their husbands and how they're like this. However, ironically, the same aunties raise their sons in the same way. And they grow up to become husbands just like their own husbands. So uh, I really don't think this is a fair thing to do. It's, it's not fair on the sons. It's not fair on their future wives because it's basically setting them up for difficulty. And if you love your children, I think it's healthy for everyone, whether they're a boy or a girl, to train them in basic things, you know, by their parents it's not the husband's job to teach the wife to do everything. It's not the wife's job to teach the husband. Because the husband and wife are not marrying parents. They're marrying spouses, you know. The teaching is the parent's job. Of course, you can learn things from your spouse. I've learned a lot from Kevin. He's learned a lot from me. But I just think it's lazy of parents to not train and prepare their children for the everyday grind that will 100% come with marriage. There's no avoiding it. None of us are billionaires. None of us have maids doing everything for us. Maids or, you know, butlers doing everything for us. We will have to get our hands dirty and do these things. So it's best to know how to do it before going into marriage. And I actually think it's beneficial if both the husband and wife know how to do all the basic things. For example, Kevin mentioned that he sorts out the finances, bills, takes care of the garden. I think I should also know how to do these things. And it's definitely an area I need to work on because I don't even know, like who our energy provider is, for example. Yeah, and I think that's bad. I think I need to work on that. Because if, God forbid, Kevin becomes ill or he has to go away somewhere, I don't want him to have the burden of worrying about all of that, you know? I need to be able to take care of it, take care of our household. Similarly, just because I now do the cooking, it doesn't mean that Kevin can't learn how to cook a few simple meals. I can do a mean toast, okay? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, can, he can make toast and cook eggs. Like fried eggs, not boiled. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he... boiled egg. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's, that's an insult. That's a violation right there. <laughs> yeah, on. I mean, I have to say, he's, he's trying to work on it. He's trying to learn. Yeah, because if I get ill or, you know, I'm pregnant or I get really busy with work then that means he'll be able to support me. So I won't have to worry about it and get annoyed about it um, all the time. So it's all about teamwork. And it's about having a we attitude rather than a me attitude. And let me tell you this, right? Half the problems in marriage are not big problems. Half the problems in marriage can be resolved if both spouses take responsibility for the everyday grind, for the little things, and if they both pull their weight. Most arguments, even for us, right? Even for us, most arguments start because of domestic issues like this. Like, for example, why didn't you put the bin out or something like that? And it's really quite silly if you think about it. Yeah, and just to kind of come to the end of this episode, and uh, I just wanted to share some of the few pieces of wisdom that we've picked up, that certainly I've picked up, when I've listened to a few podcasts on marriage. And uh, a theme that has developed is making time separating time out of a day for spouses with each other and spouses with their children too now we are not proficient on the children part so we will leave that aside but on separating out time making time for your spouse is something i'd like to discuss folks we've got to be deliberate with the time we spend with our spouses what do i mean by this i mean that we've got to set time apart on a day where you and your spouse talk to each other and catch up 
And when we do that, we're not spending time on the phone and just, you know, randomly scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. Now, that time could be spent in family worship. That time can be spent eating food, for example, at the dinner table, but being together. And I understand that some of us work shifts and it's not always possible to do it. However, the days that you are both home at the same time, it is imperative that you spend time together in joint worship and at least have a meal, preferably dinner together. Think about this. Think about Jesus' ministry. Most of Jesus' ministry, if not all, was accompanied by food. Jesus ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the prostitutes. He ate with the sinners. He fed thousands upon thousands of people. His, his disciples never lacked for food at any time he was there. Which shows that food is an important time that should be spent in fellowship. It's not about just grabbing a sandwich or a toast to go and then going into your separate rooms or running away for work. If it is lunchtime or dinner, whenever it is, please, 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 please make some time for each other and make sure you're doing it intentionally. I'll give you an example that I've been doing, I've been working on. For example, I leave work latest by 5pm, which means I get home by around 5.45 uh, if the traffic's quite bad. And then by the time I shower, I'm kind of, you know, in a relaxed, quote unquote, mode, it's around just after 6. What I've done is I've decided that from 6 onwards till about 9, I make it intentional to not do any work. Now, of course, there are times when exam marking or report writing comes into play. And I do it either later that night or else early in the next morning. In essence, ensuring that as much as possible, the time is spent with Chrislin and I'm investing in that time. But of course, there are times that I fail at this. Sometimes it's hard. However, that goal is there to ensure that I'm productive at work. So making sure that I don't spend too much time drinking coffee and having a chat because I know that I haven't got time in the evening to be doing this work. As a teacher, there's always something else that could be done. So in terms of work, I'm being as productive as possible. And then at time, I'm being productive uh, with the family. Kristen, anything else to add? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that you mentioned, like family worship, that's obviously, you know, you've heard the quote, a family that prays together stays together. And that quote <laughs> was repeated too many times at our wedding. But yeah, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, it's true, though. Yeah. It's true. And I think it's, uh, it is really important to make that, carve that time out during your day, no matter how busy your day gets to spend time reading portions from the Bible. And I think our parents, we are really grateful to our parents who trained us um, during our childhood to do this. And we've seen that modeled in their lives. So we, we've we continued this in our lives and it's been a real blessing to us. Uh, but anyway, wrapping it up, we've basically had a lot of fun growing up together and becoming our own family, although it has come with many challenges. And, you know, we've been on a few fun trips together, enjoyed seeing our friends also grow up with us and hit their milestones. And I'm really excited to see what God has in store for us in the future, whether it's joy or suffering. And our prayer is that his name will be glorified through our marriage. Anyways, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode and hope that if you're married, you'll join us in reflecting on your marriage. And if you're not yet married, we hope that there was still some wisdom in this for you. So we'll leave you there for now and we'll see you in the next episode. We hope that you've been water to water. God bless you.